0: I'll be reading from 1 John, chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. And this is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you, that you believe on the name of the Son of God, and that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. To those who are visiting, we want to thank you for your willingness to come and honor us with your presence. We encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We just concluded a great week of Vacation Bible School, and we couldn't have made it without you. And so we want to thank each and every one of you for your efforts, your work, your prayers, those who decorated the rooms and those who taught, prepared refreshments. To all of you that made this week such a great week, we want to, again, express appreciation to you and look forward to a great year and a great week next year. We're going to be looking in our study today at 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. We're going to be talking about the subject, confident in Christ. I want to begin our study today by asking this question. How confident are you in terms of your salvation? If I were to ask you, do you know, without any hesitation that you have eternal life how would you respond can you unequivocally say that you know if you were to die today you would go home to be with the Lord are you that confident about your salvation I think it's important for us to face life And death with an air of confidence And so with that in mind I want us to look at 1 John 5 verses 11 through 13 Because I think in these verses we find a measure of confidence for life and death The first thing that I want to call your attention to is the promise of life What we have here is the Apostle John certifying for us that what God says about eternal life can be believed, can be trusted, that you and I can bank on it. So listen to what he says in verse 11. This is the testimony, or this is the record, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. One of the things that I would want to stress today is the fact that whatever God says in His Word, you can believe. You can take it to the bank. It is not subject to change. It's not something that you and I can modify or alter. But rather, whatever God says is believable now there are many passages of scripture that underscore at least from my vantage point the reliability of almighty God it is said of God in Hebrews 6 at verse 18 that God cannot lie in Titus chapter 1 at verse 2 The Bible tells us that we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. In both of those verses, the inspired writers emphasize to readers of all ages that God cannot lie. Whatever God says about the subject of salvation, you can believe it. Whatever God says about the church, you and I can believe it. Whatever God says about the Christian life, we can believe it. Whatever God says about His presence in our lives, we can believe it. God is trustworthy. The Bible tells us in Psalm 119 at verse 89, Forever, O Lord, Your Word abides forever. God's Word is not alterable. It's not subject to change. It's not something that it means this today and means that tomorrow, but rather whatever God says is believable. It is trustworthy. And so John is simply saying, this is the testimony, this is the record, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. God has made eternal, eternal life available in and through His Son, Jesus Christ. The whole scheme of redemption revolves around the Son of God. The fact that Jesus came, lived among men, died on a cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and then rose three days later, ascended to heaven, and is now seated at the Father's right hand. And the assurance is that one day He will come again. We can believe that. But then, not only do we have the promise of life, but John identifies for us the place of life. Note again what he says. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So, according to John, the place of life is where? It's Christ. Jesus Christ is the place wherein you and I are afforded spiritual life. It's where we have the hope of life eternal. It's where all of our hopes, our expectations, if you please, rest. That is, in Christ, There are two things I want to share with you along these lines. First of all, there is hope in Christ. Now just think about that. There is hope in Christ. If you're in Jesus Christ, you have hope. Why? Well, first of all, because you enjoy redemption through His blood. That is, we are redeemed by the blood of Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 verse 7, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Whatever God says about the redemptive plan is true. And what God has said is that you and I, we enjoy redemption through the blood of Jesus. Jesus shed his blood where? In death, John 19, verse 34. He paid the price for our sins. Now Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, verse 18, that you and I have not been redeemed by corruptible things such as silver and gold. In verse 19 he said we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul would say to the Ephesian elders, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. Jesus purchased you and me with what? With His blood. He paid the price for sin by giving Himself on Calvary's cross. Over and over again we think about The verses that underscore for us the price of our redemption. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, at verse 21, Him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so if you're in Christ, you have been redeemed by the blood. That is, by his blood. But there's a second thing that I would call your attention to when we think about the hope that rests in Christ Not only have we we been redeemed by the blood of Christ, but we are reconciled in the body of Christ. In Ephesians 2 at verse 16, Paul said that Christ reconciled both, that is both Jew and Gentile, in one body under God through the cross. Why is it important for us to be a member of the church? Well, the reason is because that's where reconciliation takes place. You see, you and I, we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus and we are reconciled to God in the church. When we obey the gospel of Christ, we are said to be delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. It's in that sphere that we enjoy redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. It is in that sphere that we are translated into a divine kingdom, that is, into the body of Christ, the church of Christ. Now, Paul would say in Ephesians 5, verse 23, that Christ is the Savior of the body. So to those who are in Christ, what does John say? Those who have the Son have life. We can rest assured that if we have a relationship with the Son, we have what? We have life. We have an abundant life now, and we have the hope of afterlife. Jesus said, while upon this earth in John 10, verse 10, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. We enjoy the fullness of life. We enjoy an abundant life when we're in Christ. We have the hope of afterlife through Christ. Through a life that is anchored to Christ. So, there is hope in Christ. But there is a second thing. There is a sense of hopelessness without Christ. Just as sure as there is hope in Christ, there is a sense of hopelessness outside of Christ. Now I want you to listen to what John said in verse 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now let me just ask this question. Could John the Apostle be any plainer? What John is saying is, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you do not have life. There are no ifs, buts, and ands about it. If you're not in Christ Jesus, you don't have one prayer beyond this life. Not one. Now I know that we live in a day and time when people don't want to hear that. There are people in our world that have accepted this pluralistic mindset, it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter in whom you believe, it doesn't matter what road you travel. Well, that might make a pretty speech. But it doesn't harmonize with what the Bible teaches. John the Apostle is saying, if you do not have the Son of God in your life, you do not have one hope at all. Now listen to what Isaiah said. In Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, Isaiah points out that sin is what separates people from God. You ever thought about that? Sin is what separates people from God. When we talk about people, when, when we talk about people not going to heaven, in other words, being banished to Gehenna, to the hell of fire, what we need to understand is that sin is what will cost people their soul. Paul would say in Romans 6 verse 23, "The wages of sin is death." In Ephesians 2 verse, 12, Paul said that those who are outside of Christ Jesus, they are without hope and without God in this world. Can you imagine living without hope? There are some people in our world today, because of some type of illness or disease, they are left without any hope of getting better. I talked to a person this past week that was telling a, telling me about a friend of theirs who has a muscular disease, and that muscular disease is literally shutting their their body down. They are now confined to a wheelchair. This individual at one time had been strong, robust, athletic, and now at the age of 70 or 71 years, is confined to a wheelchair. No hope of getting any better. That's a pretty bleak existence. There, there are individuals in our society today. They have been given the news by their physician that they have a terminal form of cancer. No hope. What, what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2 at verse 12 is that if you are outside Jesus Christ, if you are outside a covenant relationship with Almighty God, you have absolutely no hope. In John 3, verse 36, the Bible says that those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, they have everlasting life. But those who do not obey the Son of God, they do not have life, and the wrath of God abides in them and so the place of life, it's in Christ there are only two options you are either in Christ or outside of Christ you either have a life in Christ enjoying all of those spiritual blessings or you're outside of Christ and you are without any kind of hope thirdly as we look at our text I want to call your attention to what is said in verse 13. Because now I want us to think about the peace that we can have in life. When we talk about the peace that we can enjoy in this life, really what we're saying is that as God's people, we ought to be confident people. That there ought to be an air of confidence in this life. And there are two words that I would call your attention to as we look at verse 13. Because in looking at verse 13, it it just seems to me that John is trying to tell us that, that we ought to be confident people. So the two words that I want to call your attention to are acceptance and abiding. First of all, we need to learn to accept the testimony of Scripture. Whatever God says, we need to believe it. Again, think about what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 6, verse 18. It is impossible for God to lie. Think about what Paul said in Titus 1, verse 2. And Paul wrote the commandments of the Lord, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul said, we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before The world began. So we need to learn to accept the testimony of Scripture. So with that in mind, look at verse 13. These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God, accepting the testimony of Scripture. Now, those of us here today, I would assume, believe the Scriptures. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. But sometimes, it seems like there is a disconnect. We say we believe in the Scriptures. We say we trust God. We say that that we have assurance of the hope of heaven. But then we're hesitant. We're somewhat afraid. To acknowledge what God in his word has said. Think about this for a moment. If the devil can get you to doubt your salvation or your welfare in Christ. Is that not a reflection on your trust in what God through his word has said? Listen again to what John said. These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Do we know that we have eternal life? Yes, we do. All right, can we affirm that we have eternal life? Well, I'm not sure. It's not that we're trying to be boastful or arrogant Or conceited. It's not that we're saying God I know you owe me. But rather we're simply affirming what God in his word has promised us. Think about it this way. When you were baptized into Jesus Christ. What did he say? He said he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Did you believe that? Yes I I believe that. You say, I believe I was saved. When when Saul of Tarsus was baptized and his sins were washed away, do you think he believed that? I think he did. When your sins were washed away, did you believe that what the Bible said about God remembering your sins no more, did you believe that? Well, you respond by saying, yes, I believe it. Why then is it hard to believe that God forgives sins and that God has endowed you with all spiritual blessings, but then on the other hand, we're not sure about our salvation. We're not sure that if something were to happen to us today, we would go home to be with the Lord. We talk about prayer. Do you believe in prayer? Do you believe in the power of prayer? Do you believe in the privilege of prayer? You say, yes, I do. Listen to what John said in verse 14. This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Do you believe in the power of prayer? You say, yes I do. The same God that says you can have confidence when you approach my throne in prayer says that you can have eternal life and you can know you have eternal life. We believe in the power of prayer, we wouldn't pray. We understand the importance, the blessings, the privileges associated with prayer. We pray every day. Why is it that we trust in prayer? We trust in the promises of prayer, but we lack confidence when it comes to our salvation. John said, these things I've written to you, that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Let me just give you a a case study of somebody. I talked about the Apostle Paul a a moment ago. Now, I understand that some of this is a maturity, a maturity process, a growth process. Peter talks about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in 2 Peter 3 verse 18. And if you look at the life of Paul, you see somebody who became a mature child of God. Now granted, he was an apostle. He was a great laborer for the Lord. But one of the things that stands out about the life of Paul is he was a man who exuded confidence. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Listen again to Paul. I know whom I believed and am persuaded. There is rock-solid conviction, confidence In the life of Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about how the outward man is perishing, the inward man is renewed day by day. He said we look not at at those things which are, are outward in nature because those things are perishing, but rather we look at those things which are eternal in nature. And so in chapter 5 verse 1, he would say, for we know. That if the earthly house of our tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I would stress that word, no, For we know. It's not something that, we, that we're uncertain about, unsure about. We know it. And then listen to him in Philippians 1, verse 21. He said, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Verse 23, Paul would say, to depart and be with Christ is far better. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 when Paul talks about the end of his earthly sojourn here upon this upon this earth he said I'm already being offered the time of my departure is at hand I fought a good fight I finished the course I've kept the faith henceforth there is what there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness now did Paul seem to vacillate there did it seem to you that, that Paul was uncertain about what Was before him. Did he seem uncertain about the hope that he had beyond the grave? No he said. Death is looking me in the eyes. And I know that there is laid up for me. A crown of righteousness which the Lord. The righteous judge has promised me. And not to me only but to all them that have loved loved his appearing. So accepting the testimony of scripture. And then secondly and very quickly. We must abide in the truth of Scripture. If we will do what God has said in His Word, if we will live faithfully according to His will, we have the assurance of life eternal. Let me just call your attention to a passage of Scripture. Turn back, if you would, to chapter 2 in 1 John. And look at verse 28. In verse 28... John said, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence before him at his coming and not be ashamed. The idea is that if we abide in Jesus Christ, if we follow him, if we're living true to his word, we have confidence. There is this air of confidence that Christians exude in light of the second coming of Christ. We're not going to be ashamed when the Son of God comes. Why? Because we've been living for Him. In 1 John chapter 2, John would say, Hereby we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Again, abiding in the truth of Scripture. If you and I will Follow the teaching of Almighty God. We have the hope of heaven. You see, when Paul closed his first letter to the church at Corinth, he would say, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. What I would want to do is encourage all of us as God's people to live with confidence, to be confident in Christ Jesus, to trust what the Bible says. If you and I are doing our dead-level best, if we're striving to live a faithful life in Christ Jesus, we have the hope of heaven. And we, like Paul of old, can say, I know whom I believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We can believe the words of John that we know we have eternal life. What about you today? Have you been baptized into Christ? Have you obeyed the gospel? If not, here's what you need to do. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. John 8, 24. Repent of every sin. Luke thirteen three. Confess His name before others. Matthew 10, verse 32. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38. The Lord will then add you to the church, Acts 2:47. If you're faithful till death, the promise is the crown of life. Maybe you're here today, you're not faithful. Why not come home? Why not allow us to pray with you and for you? God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.